a Motorsport Podcast Network production. Hey everybody, great to have you with me. I'm Aaron Noon and this is the V8 Sleuth Podcast, polished by Bowden's own premium car care, available at Repco in Australia and New Zealand, as well as a range of other auto stores. Well, as we release this episode of the podcast, we're still recovering from a massive week at the mountain at the 2023 Repco Bathurst 1000. It was a huge week up there, and I wanted to say quickly before we get into this pod, a massive thanks to everyone we met and chatted with at Mount Panorama. Lots of love for the V8 Salute podcast from so many of you. Again, our absolute thanks for following what we do. On this episode, and indeed the next episode of the podcast, my special guest one-on-one is none other than former Supercars Executive Chairman, the one, the only, Tony Cochran. Now, I think it's amazing to think it's now over a decade since he departed Supercars. It's gone so fast. And we had plenty to sit down and chat about over the course of this two-part pod. From the Battle of Bathurst to the challenges that he and Avesco faced in the early years of V8 Supercars, to his very strong and clear views on international races. Plus, we get into some AFL, some Farnsey, and all sorts of stuff. So settle in, enjoy this one. I did. It's part one of Tony Cochran on the V8 Sleuth podcast, polished by Bowden's own premium car care. TC, our fans wanted you on this podcast. We've made it happen. Good to see you. Uh, good to be here. Good. You must have desperate fans. <laughs> no, You've no, got no. fans who are bored. They don't know you well, do. I'm happy we've got fans. That's a good start to start <laughs> with. That's it good. is a good, good. start. Yeah, Barry yeah. Sheen used to say, Fans are the bottom line of everything, TC. Fans of it. I can't do that Cockney accent of his, but. You're not going to have a crack? No. No, no fair no, play. No. Fair play. Mate, uh, thanks for the time. Good to see you. Thanks Pleasure. for hosting. It's uh, nice to be here on the lovely Gold Coast. Home of the Suns. Home of the Gold Coast Home Suns. Home of the Gold Coast Suns. With our new coach. Dimmer. Dimmer. That's exciting. Yeah, it is. It's, I, I said I did some pieces on Melbourne Radio earlier in the week and um, I made the comment that um, how powerful it is for uh, footy up here in Queensland. I mean, um, you can put it in perspective really easily. Queensland, not the Gold Coast Suns, Queensland has had one premiership coach in our whole AFL history of the great Lee Matthews. Lee Matthews. Yeah. And uh, so Dimmer's number two and it's it's caused a big stir up here in Queensland and big stir here on the Gold Coast and it's a, it's a wonderful, wonderful fill-up for um, – uh, the Gold Coast Suns, but more importantly for Queensland footy in general. So it's uh, he, he will make a um, he, he, make a big change. It's going to be an interesting few years if you're a Suns fan. Actually, if you're a footy fan, it'll be an interesting few years. Do the Suns get to the finals before the Hawks get back to the finals? Oh, easily. I mean, that's I not even up that. for the debate. <laughs> that's, a, that's a silly point. Um, in fairness, the Hawks have had lots of time in the in the sun. We did. We've had and, a, we've and had so some good don't sun. get too greedy there. You've no, got no, no, what, four premierships no, no, no. in the no, last I'm, twenty years. I wouldn't be No, no, I'm not complaining. I wouldn't be complaining nothing, one one bit. Nothing to complain about, but we're we're coming back. We're coming back. We're rebuilding. We're okay. rebuilding. We're re- rebuilding. Mate, there's so much to talk about. Supercars, motorsport, entertainment, forty bits and pieces of all of this. But Probably one thing I've never spoken to you about or heard you really speak about is as a young bloke growing up, where'd you grow up? Where did that whole interest in events and promotional stuff and can you pinpoint where that all sort of started? Because I think anyone who ends up doing something professionally, there's a trigger point or there's a there's a time in their life where it's the, ah, oh, that's where it 
came where does the the the, the event guy Tony Cochran start like how can you can you put your finger on it uh, well yes I can but there wasn't some great master plan nor nor have I just stuck to one thing in my life. So where a lot of people are very organised and, and specialise in something and stay with it their entire working career, I have swapped between sports and entertainment on a regular basis and quite often doing both at once. And so um, there's no great sense of formal plan in here whatsoever. Um, but briefly, um, I lived in Adelaide, good old South Australia. and born, born uh, bread. Born and bred. Yeah. And Who'd you barrack for as family. a kid? Sturt Footy Club. Right. I lived yep. um, two Bob Sheeman stab passes from Leonley Oval and uh, I, I loved I loved that life um, and I, I loved the Sturt Footy Club. Um, and, you know, the SANFL in those days was a very, very strong competition um, and a very good quality competition and I uh, grew up in an enlightened era at Sturt because we won, what was it, six premierships in the space of eight years, I think it was. And uh, including five in a row, should have been six in a row. And, why why uh, wasn't it six in a row? Oh, because uh, we uh, uh, a player hit the goalpost with about a minute to go and that resulted in a point and if it had been a goal, we would have won that game by three points. Oof. But um, – that was, I, I reckon that sun. was a 95, the the, sorry, the, I reckon that was the 65 grand final. See how good my memory is. I reckon it was 65 that that occurred. And then we won every grand final for the next five years from 66 onwards. Um, so, yeah, it was, it, it was a lot of fun and um, I hated school. Uh, that was in my list of questions. I, I was going to say you probably weren't a school fan. No, no, I wasn't. And, and school for me really consisted of um, – uh, extracurricular activities. So my and the biggest of those was myself and a mate in the same street started a small lighting company called High Watt Lighting. Um, guy named Phil Hattie and we um, uh, did in those days we used to do all the lighting for school dances and and for bands and uh, for um, various uh, discos and stuff around Adelaide and and do all of that and. Um, I was, uh, we were doing that um, in a part-time capacity basically and um, oh, I'd never even finished uh, my final year. year two, in about May of my final year of year 12, I, I, um, I pulled the pin on school much to my parents' utter and complete disbelief and I worked full-time on, on High Watt or started full-time work on High Watt and um, High Watt grew and grew and grew and was pretty little successful business and then we we um I got to a point in my late 20s where I had been slowly morphing myself into event production which the lighting sort of got you exposed yeah, to yeah the lighting or, had exposed me to it yeah. and it's a good lighting uh, pun actually yeah yeah, yeah. Nice and things. and audio too I'd got sort of involved in audio a bit and so that whole production world and um then I got involved with a uh, really great company in Australia, um, pioneers in those days called Jans out of Sydney who did all the production for all the big tours. Um, so I got involved with them a bit up in Sydney and I had the sort of the production management thing going on the side and um, so I guess kind of morphed into events really. I, I wasn't, as I said, it wasn't a great um, stylistic plan. I just kind of did more and more events and um, all sorts of stuff. I didn't limit myself. In those days you couldn't anyway. You couldn't be a mm. specialist in those days because you had to grab whatever was going. Um, 
and it was a the, the whole industry was obviously a lot more unsophisticated than it is today. It's pretty straightforward. Yeah. yeah. And um and then I, I really um so you know I sold out of High Watt in Adelaide and um uh I had an office in Adelaide, an office in Sydney, and I used to sort of flip between the two. And then kind of my um I did a few concert tours and what have you, but my really big break came about because I um I with um the Barnard group who had the overall rights to do the opening of Century Cove, um, I won the slice to do all the entertainment and the biggest slice of that obviously ended up becoming bringing Frank Sinatra out. Which is a really well publicised and, and told story but basically yeah. you did take no for an answer basically. Yeah, for bottom line is I didn't take no for an answer. It went on for a few months but it was uh, – uh, it was it was a fun time and, and I had the benefit of being really young and naive and not knowing what I know now because if I probably now I wouldn't have, wouldn't have, <laughs> I wouldn't have attempted it because I uh, uh, it was a very, very interesting time. But really exciting period in my life and I really enjoyed it and um, that caused me to move to Queensland temporarily for four months and so I moved to the Gold Coast in um, uh, August of 1987 and uh, – I'm still here, what is it, 36 years later or something. Mm. So, um, um, yeah, just just sort of one thing led into another thing which led, which has been kind of the story of my life, you know. I've done all sorts of crazy and bizarre things across sport and across entertainment and uh, music and, and touring and, you know, I'm, I'm, I've really had a, a terrific life, a really privileged life. I've really enjoyed it. I've really, you know, loved every minute of it. There's been crazy moments and, you know, like anybody in, in my role, you, you win some, you lose some, you lose a shitload of money, you make a shitload of money, you know, that, that's just part of the mm. cut and thrust of it. And, if you know, if you don't like it, you shouldn't be in that part of it because any any promoter who tells you or any entrepreneur who tells you, oh, everything I've touched has turned to gold, well, they're probably a liar because that's not part, that's not how the process works because you can't pick winners all the time. No, it's true. You said an interesting word there. I like, I'm so interested in the word entrepreneur. Some people use it really badly and attach it to themselves. Where do you sit on that word? Like what is an entrepreneur? Because I feel it's got almost a, sometimes a negative connotation to it. That well, it has, go, it Shyster, has, a, a, it kind of you know, has in Australia. It doesn't really yeah. have internationally but in Australia for some reason, I think you're probably right, I think it does have. I actually don't attach any word to me by the way. Yeah, I was going to say you're <laughs> uh, a bit of everything. Yeah, I, I'm, I can't even work out what the hell I am let alone tell other people. <laughs> um, so – uh, yeah, but uh, pretty much, uh, you know, well, in the music business, an entrepreneur is somebody who, you know, it's promotes and, and puts together shows and acts and tours and uh, and festivals and the like. And, um, you know, it's uh, uh, there's a lot of people in the world that do it and a lot of people do it very, very successfully. A lot of very big companies now, that, that whole world has been taken over by globalisation. Mm. So people like Live Nation and AEG have really become the, the massive – you know, controllers of that on a on a world scale, and, and do a very good job of it. I've, I've got no no criticism of that. Um, so yeah, it's it's like everything. It's become more and more professional, and bigger and bigger and bigger, and the risk profile is bigger and bigger and bigger. And you know, you need to have very deep pockets if you're going to play in that that space. Now, you know, it's uh, it's it's a it's a it's a vast world and an interesting world. And but you know, people still love events live. I don't care yeah. what anybody says. Yeah. People talk to me. Oh, we'll do everything via Zoom. We're going to do that. No. I say load of shit. No. No. People Agreed. people want to be involved. They want to be interactive. Uh, they want to be a part of it. Yep. Um, and uh, live, whether it's sport or entertainment, 
L-I-V-E counts for everything. You got to be there. You got to be there. I found something. You know that I love a dig. You know I like a bit of archives and going for a bit of a look. I don't think you're an archaeologist at birth. Yeah, I'm that old. I'm that old. I went for a little dig through the National Film and Sound Archive, which I've done over the time for Vision and for Mm -hmm. various bits and pieces. I don't think this is you, but I want to check because it will irk me if I don't check it with you. Mm. So I didn't get the audio recording of it, but there is a document or there's a mention on their search in there. And because it was Adelaide Connected, I thought, oh, I knew you were an Adelaide bloke Mm. in your younger days. I found a mention of a recording in their archives from 1977, a national folk festival in Adelaide, and there's a Tony Cochran mentioned. Could there have been another Tony Cochran? Heaven forbid, is there another one That's out there? That's a scary thought. That's not you? That, I don't think so. I don't, I'm trying to think 1977 where I even It's wore. a national folk festival in Adelaide. Well, That's I was definitely still in Adelaide in 77. Um, you, weren't, you weren't a muser though. You weren't playing. No, 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 no. Right. God, so I think God might, forbid. I think we might have disqualified God forbid. That would be you. a way to clear a hall <laughs> uh, or clear a folk <laughs> festival or clear anything for that matter. Um Bad enough me talking, let alone singing. Um, so, no, I don't think that's me, which means there's another Tony Cochran out there, which is a really scary thought. That is a very scary – all right, I'm going to mark that off now. I, I don't need to go and download that audio to find out quite what it was because I'm <laughs> pretty sure I'm 99.99% sure that that's not the T. Cochran than we thought it might have been. Um, clearly motorsport's a big part of what we do and a big part of your world over the journey, but what was your first car growing up as a young buck in Adelaide? Well, my first car wasn't my car. It was actually my dad's car and it was an EJ Holden. Oh, nice. So what's that, 64 or 5? About there. Yeah. 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 Um, which I got to borrow and then um, uh, then uh, it was a Datsun 180B. I'm oh. going to think. <laughs> I'm, 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 yeah, you're testing your memory. Um, and then my first real passion car where I actually – got to really buy it for me. Um, so I, I was quite young, but I was determined to, um, to of all things, to own a Porsche. So I bought a, a Porsche 924. Oh, the front engine. Yeah. yeah, yeah. Um, which I was as proud as punch about and um, uh, as a young guy. And um, so that was my first kind of serious car purchase. That's uh, a good one. And that point in time but yeah I've, again the cars with me have been incredibly eclectic I'm uh, I think everybody now knows I don't think I, I think I came out of the closet a few years ago um, but I'm a massive Mustang fan yeah I was going to ask you about that have you mm. still got the bullet mm, yeah of course yeah yeah, yeah every lap in under a minute means every second matters Bosch Power Tools Perth Super Sprint May 17 to 19 book now at Tick Attack Supercars, unforgettable. Because a lot of people over the journey, particularly during your V8 era, which was red and blue, Ford and Holden, mm. you know, was the two tribes, little time of a couple of other cars being involved. But I'm sure over the journey you would have always got asked, oh, you know, what sort of what sort uh, of a bloke are you? What, what have you got times. in your garage? Because it's actually a bit of a – it's a double-edged question that you really wouldn't want to be answering whatever you do drive because – Straight away, they just accuse you of being biased one way or the other. So, yeah, well, some dickhead, we? some dickhead journalist years ago um, somehow got, I'm not even sure how it came about. Now I can't remember, but exposed in the national press what cars I owned. And, you know, his comment was, there's not a Ford or a Holden to be seen amongst them. Well, 
you know, I mean, that That's was right. at that stage that was fully intentional because everybody used to ask me, and as soon as I say this, you'll probably remember because I'm sure at some stage whether you asked or whether you're in a press conference who asked, you know, you must have some bias towards Holden or Ford or one team or another. I'd say my position is Switzerland mm, mm. Um, because it had to be Switzerland. Be. I, no you know, way. I mean, I, I had lots of friends up and down the pit lane, still do have a lot of friends from those days in the pit lane and uh, they came from all sorts of persuasions. I mean, I was very, very good friends with Ross Stone, for example. Mm. Well, you know, he he raced Fords and then, you know, I very much played a role in helping him bring Mercedes-Benz on board. Mm. So uh, my job was unabashedly to support the pit lane and grow the business for pit lane. It wasn't to be, uh, uh, you know, to get mixed up. I mean, one of the big mistakes you can make by my, and I've seen this a lot, one of the real big mistakes is to be in that kind of role and to start to think that you should have a say in the actual sport. And what I mean by that is you do not, you don't want the guy at the top who <laughs> wants to get into a debate about what the braking system should be or which tyres should be going on the cars or, you know, should Ford get a better run than Holden's or should Holden's get a better run than Ford's or should, you know, the HSV team be looked after this year because they've had a terrible year last year more so than the DJR team, for example. You don't want to get into any of those debates because you, you, that's not your role. You, the moment you do that, you're actually – you're disadvantaging, in my opinion, the most important group in the whole mix, which are, are people called fans. Do you so reckon fans that that's what's happened are since the number one? Look, I'm not close enough to it today to be to re- and there's smarter people running the business today than me. Um, but the truth of the matter is that I believe. You know, and I'll, this, this will become the headline. Everybody will <laughs> gravitate to this. But I believe since I left, there hasn't been anybody who's really put the fans front and centre in the whole equation. And and one of the reasons why it's gone through mixed emotions and mixed dealings and mixed bags and mixed outcomes and all of those things is that I I – you know, I used to drive the whole of the V8 Supercar team nuts about what what is the fan going to think of that decision. You know, are we taking the fans with us on that? You know, are we being supportive of the fans? Are we doing enough for the fans? And, I mean, I, I put my mouth where my money was or my money where my mouth was, if you like, and, again, when I say this, you'll recall it and certainly some of your listeners will recall it. I used to make a point at, a, at events of just standing in the paddock somewhere, uh, particularly on a Saturday afternoon was my favourite time because the racing hadn't got fully serious yet but the fans were fully engaged and there, of just standing there. And, of course, what that would happen, Aaron, they would come up to me and Market start talking. Research. Correct. Hmm. So I would hear and I would stand there sometimes for a couple of hours and I would have everything from the fan who wanted the autograph through to the fan who wanted to tell me what a complete dickhead I was, right, <laughs> and everything in between. But the point of why I did that was because you're absolutely you've nailed it already. I was getting automatic fan research and feedback. I was hearing firsthand from a cross-section of fans, good and bad and indifferent, what they thought of what we were doing and how we were doing it and how they were being impacted by it. And I really think that is mission critical. And 
I, you know, and I learned that very valuable lesson. I know I bring this guy's name up a lot, but, you know, he really did have a big influence on my early motorsport days, um, and that's Barry Sheen. And, and, you know, Barry was very much of that ilk that if a fan wanted to stop and talk to you, he'd stop and listen. And I, and I travelled the world with Barry, so I saw it, you know, I saw it all over the world. I saw it in Australia. I certainly saw it in the UK. I saw it in Europe. Uh, with Baz and you know that that was his his underlying thing and he he used to say TC the only time I worry is when they don't want my autograph <laughs> and that it's a good line yeah, and and, yeah. and it, you know and it, it's true and and a lot of those you know a lot of the really great uh, riders and drivers understand that and you know I. You know, even good, you know, we'll, we'll flash across to AFL, even good AFL footballers understand that's mm. really important. Mm. That's, that's you know, they're not earning the massive big bucks for no reason at all. They're earning them because guess what? There's a big fan base out there supporting them. The thing is that's different from that period is that people have so many ways now that they can express their opinion. Social media, sure. phones. I mean, it's, you know, I've got mine yeah. sitting here. Yours are sitting around somewhere. It's instant feedback, but sometimes it can also give you a false read on a lot of things because you do only hear about the bad stuff. You, you never hear about the good stuff. Well, I think probably, so. Social media is a disaster, in my humble opinion. Yeah, it's and a cesspit. In as many Gil instances. McLaughlin says, "There's nothing humble about your opinions, Tony." But <laughs> but the, the the truth of the matter is, social media is a disaster, and I would solve it if I became the Prime Minister of Australia. Probably only last twenty four hours, but in the twenty four hours, what a twenty four hours it would it be! It would be though. an exciting twenty four hours, top notch. But truthfully, there's one thing I'd change on social media to. To sign up to any form of social media, you have to register your name, your address, your phone number, mm-hmm. so that if I jump on there and I say something, you know, look, look, look at the craziness we've got in the world of AFL, well, all sports, but in the world of AFL towards comments made to the Indigenous players. They'd cut that out overnight because they could go in, they could immediately find out, right? And you know, Joe Blow, Joe Blow, you you posted this, but you're, you know, you're really Joseph. Mm. Tool of such and such address, yeah, yeah, yeah. you know, we're now going to ban you from life from social media or or some other. Mm. You you mm. you maybe Be you wouldn't clear. cut it out, but I yeah. tell you what, you'd reduce it by ninety six percent in in a week. Mm. It's yeah. people can yeah. hide. That's the problem. Yeah, that's the people thing. can hide. They can. You they know, can. if I go back to my example before, we standing in the paddock and fans are coming up and talking to me. I'm looking at the person now. Yeah, yeah. Some of them got. You know, a bit heated, but that was okay. Mm. You know, I'd ask them to calm down a bit and say, "Well, hang on, let's let's look mm. at the whole perspective here. You make a good point, or you you're making a shit point, but you're not seeing it from the right perspective." Yeah. I, I don't have any problem with that kind of debate because you're being honest. I'm That's I'm talking fine. to you. You're yeah, talking yeah, yeah. to me. But yes, the whole social media I hide behind a wall and accuse people of stuff and write crap about mm. people and. And have pop shots and 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 you know just slander you know if you're a Ford fan you slander the Holdens if you're a Holden fan you're slandering the Fords and all that uh, to me that's just a load of bollocks I mean mm. that that could be put in the bin and fixed overnight it's pathetic that nobody wants to stand up and do something about it it's true gutless actually it's true it's true could, a lot of things that could be fixed pretty easily talking about the fans and they're a big part of it massive part of it um, when you look back over the journey of of the V8 stuff. What was done that, you know, when the fans are the, you know, as you said, the, the driving element, you got to you got to take them with you on everything you do. When you look back on it, what were some of the things that were done over the journey that made it better 
for fans? Because when you turned up and the Avesco era started, there were those who crossed their arms and shook and went, oh, we don't want to change anything. This is all a bit rude. But looking back on it, what would you pin your, your hat to? As the, you know, what, it's one thing that it was Adelaide, great event. You know, There was all sorts of milestone bannerhead elements along the way. But for the fans, what were some of the things over the journey that you're proud of that fans got a better deal out of? Well, you know, it's the old saying, a rising tide takes all ships up, is very true. And um, so it's never, and, and this is where a lot of people go wrong with this stuff because they think there's one magic bullet and you Bit find that magic bullet and bing, you're in business. It's not as simple as that. So it was lots of things. It was lots of things. I made sure we had an energised team. You know, I think all the team from those that era would, who as are in around the supercars me. of SK. Yeah, yeah as, yeah, as in the people that worked yep. with me. You know, I think I was an incredibly energising individual. Some people didn't like that, of course. Some people, you know, weren't, you know, TC's a pain in the ass. But, you know, overall they bought into my passion for how we do this and, and um, you know, if you're going to be in one of those roles, I believe you have to have a great sense of passion about what you're doing because sport is passion. At the end mm. of the day, mm. sport and entertainment really are really passion-driven. So if you don't have that component, good luck to you. If you think you can be, you know, a dry businessman, you know, like a private equity group and just run it like a private equity group, you – you're going to go backwards pretty quickly. Any particular private equity groups? No, come to mind, we'll just Tony, we'll yeah. just open the table up at that stage <laughs> and let everybody feast at it. Um, but the, the the truth of the matter is that um, what did we do? We took events that were poorly run in hard to get to places, and we we helped invigorate what we were doing and how we did it. So things like Adelaide are our obvious standout success. is It was Adelaide in my time, a better experience for a fan, more interest, more things to do, more value for Buck than going to Malala because that was what they were doing before yep. I came along. Yep. Um, and I'll, I'll let – I'm going to ask the questions here. I'm not going to answer them. So pe- people listening can decide on that for themselves. Um, Bathurst. I got rid of all the dickheads. I got rid of all the rat bag elements, you know. I, I, I encourage people around me to let's rebuild the mountain, as I used to call it, you know, and we brought proper fran- family camping back where people could go there and feel really safe bringing their entire family. We brought decent toilets and, and temporary showers and decent facilities to some degree back to the mountain compared to what it used I mean, people today might think it's <laughs> that great. My God, they should have been there 25 compared years to, ago. Mm. You would have died. So we we improved the overall experience from a fan point of view in lots of different ways. There wasn't just one thing. And so all of those things come together. We made the sport readily accessible on free-to-air TV uh, first with 10 and then with seven. And we allowed a lot more people into our into our workshop. You know, we opened the whole thing up a lot more. We encouraged um, the teams and the drivers and everybody to be much more media savvy. We 
drove media to accept us more and to become part and parcel of being a national sport. You know, before I came along, we weren't in the top ten sports in the country. Uh, <laughs> weren't even close. Based on based on what attendance, oh, but, uh, TV any, ratings, any metric, TV any dollars, metric you like. Any, any basically um, prior to um, kind of the the V eight supercar era, so the Group A touring car era, for example. They had one day of the year. It was called Bathurst. Mm. That was it. The other 364 days, they had to go and survive anyway. They damn well pleased. And, of course, they couldn't and they weren't. And the sport, you know, one of the things I'm most proud of, I, I, you know, when I first cranked up a Vesco, the acronym for the Australian V8 Supercar Company because I love acronyms, <laughs> um, we had about across the pit lane there was about, you know, 40 to 60 people work full-time in the sport roughly. Right when I stepped out, um, what's that now? Mm, 10, 20, 11 12, years ago, 11, 11 years, years yeah. ago, there was nearly you know 1600 working full time in, in supercars. So the pie grew, it grew, yeah. There the were pie more teams, really grew. There we built we, teams, we, were, we built a bigger pie, we yeah. just built a bigger pie. Yeah. So, everybody naturally, when you build a bigger pie, everybody gets a better share. Yeah. That includes importantly, well, sorry, in my world, that includes importantly the fans. Mm. And the big element, and and we have had a chat about this for the the book that I've put out recently, the Great Race about the battle. Oh, there's a plug. Bathurst. There they go. Hey, it's all part of it, mate. It weaves together. Get your copy now for Father's Day. Yeah. Available at all good booksellers and some shitty ones too, probably as well. But all the good ones, all <laughs> the good said ones. It, I, I, w- I wouldn't be saying no, 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 no. Well, they're not so good ones. No, that's all right. That's all right. So the I wanted to. Ho- I mean, there's so, so many topics here. We're going to bounce around a little bit, but that's kind of the nature of this stuff. But yeah, it was. 20, well, 26 years ago that the Bathurst War began. So uh, in this book, and, and you were you spent a bit of time with me talking about this as well in the lead-up, and I wanted to well, just expand. Well, if it was a war, so it was a slaughtering. It, it was, it, well, I knew you were going to say that. <laughs> uh, yeah, we're going to get to that bit. We're well, I've been I, I mean, very funny reading um, in your book. I have read his book, folks. Go and get it. It's a good read. I, I love in your book the likes of the Alan Gows and the, you know, the other uh, people from that era, from the Toker side of the fence, uh, uh, some of whose names I've forgotten, um, perhaps purposely. But um, I love how that how I try to play. Well, of course, we were forced into it. We really didn't want to know anything about it. It was really, a, you know, tough on us and, you know, to, oh, what absolute rubbish. Kelvin O'Reilly and co, when they thought that they had the Bathurst race and we were out the door, they were licking their lips. They were in there. Hook, line, and sinker. But of course they would be. Why yeah. would they be? If, yeah, but if so there was it, a Bathurst 1000 but don't available try and, make and up, Don't there. try and make up 25 years later after you lost the fight that, oh, we, we, we really didn't want to be there. You know, we were being forced. This wasn't really our thing. Forced. I think they were saying that we just provided a field of cars. We were asked to go. Let's rewind back a step though. So, and this was the basic premise that I wanted to feed off from the, the fan discussion. So, we're in a situation where you come from an entertainment background and it's well told and we probably won't go back over it, but you basically sat there looking at what was V8 Touring Cars, Group A, whatever banner it was under, and went, hang on a minute, you guys pay to star. Mm. The star should get paid. You know, if yeah. you, you promote a gig and it's John Farnham smashing away on stage singing like a you know the brilliant singer he is, he's the star. He doesn't pay... To come, he no, gets paid to. Not even come, close. You know. So I came from a world where the in the entertainment space, and it's still true today, the 
absolute lion's share goes to the entertainer, whoever that may that's be. That's who you're coming and to see. That's who you're coming to see. That's why you're buying the ticket mm. or why you're watching or why you're buying a record or why you're buying a CD mm. or whatever yep. you're buying. Yep. Um, streaming service today. The, 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 so it was a really simple equation for me. And the very first thing, probably the way how I convinced the, the likes of the Larry Perkins, the Dick Johnson, the Wayne Caddox, the, you know, uh, Ross Stone, uh, I'm trying to think, the Mark Larkin was a team owner. Mm, um, Glenn Seaton was. Yeah, Glenn yeah, Seaton. Yeah. The, the way I initially convinced those guys was one really simple argument. I took them through the equation of Bathurst, which they thought they were earning 300000 a year out of. Now, they were. They were. But it was costing but them to be there. It was costing the money when you actually brought it all up on a whiteboard and added it all up. It was a disastrous exercise. And they had no say. They had no ownership. They had terrible. I remember cams used to make them have to push their cars to the to be weighed and all that. You couldn't drive a car anywhere in the pit lane and all these all these really draconian crappy rules. And look, I'm all for rules, but I used to stand there and argue with the you know my very early days dealing with cams and say, "What? Why? Why?" If you can explain to me why, sure, I'm, I'll sort of start to understand. But, you know, if it's just a rule for the sake of a rule, then let's get rid of it because I hate rules, right? Rules are, you know, rules are needed, but let's hmm. not have excessive to rules. To a degree. To a degree. Um, and, um, of course, Bathurst was falling, you know, everybody forgets, Bathurst was falling down around itself. I mean, the pit garages and the, the, the buildings out the back, I mean, one year we went to Bathurst and it bucketed rain from the Tuesday morning. 2000, remember Was well. it 2000? Okay. It rained for the week leading I, up I wrecked it. a pair of shoes in the process because I did a press conference in a big puddle of water standing, standing in to the big puddle. To make the point, you sacrificed a pair of shoes. Because I got on national TV with it, as, as only I could do, and <laughs> I knew I was going to because I called, I used one great third line. Third world? I think yeah. you called it third world. It's a, yeah. We're visiting a third world country and that's all it took. The Premier, who was... Most misnamed premier in Australia because his surname was Carr and he hated cars. Um, <laughs> everybody just went nuts, but it was exactly what I wanted because suddenly I drew attention to what was meant to be this great national spectacle that Australians proudly talked about, and you know it was one of our great sporting events of the year. It was held in an embarrassing location mm. in terms of the facilities at that particular Bathurst itself was fine, but the facilities at the track were a joke. So. Um, yeah, look, I, it was a, it was a, it was a big deal. It was a big fight, and I got my life threatened over it. You name it, everything happened. Um, but it was a fight that had to happen. It was just in my book, it was simple. If we didn't win that blue, shut the, <laughs> the gate. The rest was going to be just be mm. impossible. Do you know how to find the right oil for your car? Now you can find out quickly and easily online. Thanks to Castrol's Rego to Oil tool. Simply type in your Rego, select your state, and within seconds you'll know the best Castrol products to unlock the edge of performance in your car. So what's your car best suited to? Just search Rego, the number two, and oil and find out. Were there other mobs at the time? Because at the time when the whole V8 thing happened, you were with IMG. Of course, later it was SEL with some other parties. No, I, was, I was finishing were, with IMG. IMG. I was in the last six months of getting out of IMG, yeah. Yeah, so there was the, the famous Sandown 500 press conference. <laughs> yeah. Kind of the, the industry and were you the there? motorsport. No, I was about 14. I think it was a little, <laughs> little bit pre my time. Um, but that's kind of the – I mean, you had been around motorsport through being involved with the Motorcycle Grand Prix and the IndyCar race up yeah. on the coast. But yeah. 
for you know mainstream motorsport fans, that's kind of their first seeing and hearing of of you. And clearly, we saw and heard a lot more of you in the the years that followed too. But um, probably the element there that was of real interest was in previous years there'd been other organisations float ideas and concepts that were quite similar to franchise the sport to you know but the problem was you always had all these team owners who would never agree on the brakes the tires the wheels the calendar the whatever so there was always a fracturing i think advantage i found some documents a few years back that advantage had tried to do sort of similar yeah things they had steve or fraser was steve it fraser yeah, who yeah. ran brock's team that's for a while. Tr- that's true he um, did because that was yeah, early, it preceded, early 90s. Well, it preceded me, before, so I don't know when it was. It preceded me. Yeah. I was 96. Yeah. It yeah, preceded correct, me. Correct. So where I'm going with this, we saw World Series cricket. We saw the Super League, which funnily enough was happening about the same time that the V8 thing yeah, was, was. All, was all going on. And they all were same but different with their all little nuances. But in terms of the V8 one, there was this – It was. do you reckon it's a case of timing? It's the right perfect storm, a bloke who's – Got to know you've done a bit of homework here. You've talked to some of the team owners. You've had a look at some racing. You've sort of hang on a minute. So how does this all work? What do you mean you? Hang on, this is a bit ass about. Um, Bathurst's there. Oh, it's not as good as it could be. All these things, like you said before, with improving things for the fans, it was a bit of everything. But with this, it was a bit of everything too that all came together in this one spot. But it was. It's sort of like you need to have a war to have peace, in a way. <laughs> well. Was those, there, there was no real way to avoid know me it. Well. There was no way. There was really no way to avoid it. Yeah, those who know me well would say he's a combative character by nature, and he doesn't mind a blue. I remember Larry Perkins really early in the piece saying to me one day up at Bathurst, you know, you don't mind a fight, do you, cock? <laughs> and uh, I, I, I kind of don't. If I think, if I believe I'm on the side of right, right, whether you believe it or not, doesn't matter mm. to me. Mm. If I believe it. Mm then you'll never stop me. You are dealing with, it's like playing tennis against a brick wall. Mm. I mean- The ball's bouncing back no matter what. The ball will keep coming back to you because, and I believed really strongly, and then not only did I see a future in this, Of course, which is just life, yeah. Right, I did. I mean, I'm I'm not going to try and make out I was some sort of saint who was doing it for the love of country and love of motorsport. You know, I, I absolutely saw a future and I convinced other people there was a future in it. But I cannot get to that point unless I really believe in the product, as it were. Mm. The product on this occasion was V8 supercar. Well, what I pick the product one then was Group A touring cars, which I changed into V8 supercar. Were there any other names proposed? Yeah, there were, but don't ask me what they were now. And there was lots of different logos and all sorts of designs. And Gary Craft in those days played a big hand in all of that. I I can't remember what they were now. We all settled on V8 supercars. Sounded like a ripper of a name, and it was great marketing name. My my um, darling wife, who um, was working with me in in um, IMG and SEL in those days, was you know very much in tune and running the marketing section certainly at SEL, and um, she thought it was a ripper name, so that was good enough for me because she had a really good marketing brain on her. Um, uh, but you know, I I I was absolutely driven by the fact that uh, the teams. Teamland needed a better deal. They didn't know their own value, and so basically. one of the things that Wayne Caddick said to me really early in the piece when he was the uh, GM at um, DJR, you know, um, was, Coco, 
getting all these guys together is going to be like, it's like herding cats. You're going to collect two or three and put them in the box and then you're going to go off to pick up another two and bring them back, put them in the same box. And meanwhile, one's jumped out. Um, and he said that, that you know, they, these guys are very hard to get to all agree to the point you just made a moment ago. Mm. And I said, yeah, well, that might be true, but if they don't all agree, if we can't all find some common ground here, they're going to collectively die on the vine. And I was able to convince them of that, rightly or wrongly, love me or hate me, I was able to convince them we can only be a force if we're all together. I'm going to be the spearhead, you know. I'll take the majority of the slings and arrows that come our way, um, but I'll take a stand here and away we go. And, um, you know, and, and look, it, 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 they were interesting times because I misread certain situations. Now, for, for sure... You know, I mean, myself and my then partner, James Erskine, were very close with all the TV networks, but particularly Channel 7 in those days, just around that period of time for whatever reason. Um, I thought for sure when we took a stance that the seven people on the consortium will back down and see, look, this is nuts. We've mm. got to, we've got to, we've got to find a way to find a deal here. So you actually didn't think there's going to be too much of a fight here. I did. I, I we'll didn't. have a little stand. We'll yeah, I didn't blow it out, and we'll be done. I didn't. I, I thought it would all happen behind closed doors, and and we'd resolve it. And they, I only wanted simple. I wanted extra money mm. for the teams, and I wanted a lot less cost space. So I want cost stripped out, more money in their pool, and we're all good, mm. right? Because the consortium was making good money. Yeah, and, totally. You know, the ARDC, Channel 7 and Bathurst City Council, they're all making – It's a successful event. It was like, a successful event. It had its problems and issues, but yeah. it wasn't like it was a total, yeah, correct. total correct. disaster. And the great irony, though, I always found was that when the blue happened and you guys went off to do your own thing and another race and Channel 10 and all that stuff, the the I think the prize money at the time, the pool was, what, 300? Yeah. And for the first of ESCO, we were a Primus 1000 Classic, as you mm. remember it was called. As originally, it was the Australian 1000. Yeah. Um, it was 750. Yeah, and that's what you were asking for. So the great. Well, I wasn't even was, asking that much. Well, I was. I think. I, I think we would have agreed five hundred thousand and a whole heap of the costs coming out. So when we did seven fifty, a whole heap of the cost. Yeah. No, a whole heap of the cost came out as yeah. well. So for the teams, it was like a one million dollar swing. Yeah. So the reality was, though, of what could have been saved, was spent by the other side on importing six or seven or eight oh, British touring cars yeah. for the next couple of years. Yeah. So they still spent the money anyway. Be careful what you wish for in life. Be and careful all they, what all you they wish helped for. drive was a rival race and the fans voted with their feet, as history shows. And that's why I count both races as part of the history because they yeah, both I, had, I, you know, and I have And I have and absolutely no problem with that whatsoever. Yeah, you know, they, they, they both took place and they're both part of the ethos of the history of motorsport and yeah. particularly the ethos and history of uh, Mount Panorama. But, um, you know, it was a, you know, when we got rejected at that very famous meeting at Epping at the Channel 7's uh, boardroom, um, that, that was a real, that was a real. And what was the rejection there on the money? So um, uh, the consortium. Um, Which, by the way, for those who don't know, was the Australian Racing Drivers Club. Channel 7 and, Bath and, and the City Bathurst Camp. City Council Correct. was then called. So yeah. the three of them had a consortium Which to run years, In the prior the great couple of years they'd sort of – they'd all, all sort of done it previously but then they actually formally formed a consortium a couple of years prior to – Yeah, right. yeah, yeah. They were, they were a, you know, an organised body by the time I arrived on the scene, mm. no question about it, and headed up day-to-day day by Ivan Stibbard. But there was a bit missing, the teams. 
That yeah, well, they didn't the see it that way, you see. Yeah. They fell for the fatal mistake, which, you know, everybody can do. They fell for the fatal mistake that the Bathurst event was more important than the content. <laughs> mm, mm. Be very careful of that in life um, is my advice to anybody listening right now because the content is sacrosanct, it's king. And so we, James Erskine and I came, on, I don't think there was anybody with us actually from the team, from team land. Uh, we went to a meeting they convened at Channel 7's boardroom uh, on the North Shore there in Sydney and they were all there. They were there en masse. I think there was 21 of them. There was, you know, people from Channel 7, people from the ARDC. I even Colin Bond was sitting there. Ivan Stebbard was definitely sitting there. Um, a couple of other um, characters from the ARDC. There was uh, four or five from the Bathurst City Council, including the then mayor, a guy named Ian McIntosh, who I had great respect for. Um, actually, I had a lot of respect for quite a few people around that table that up till that point in time and some of them lost me big time that day. But anyway, uh, they just stonewalled us and, and um, then they dropped the big hammer. Oh, Will, if you don't come back, we, we're thinking of changing anyway. Changing to what? Oh, well, V8s are dying out and we think the way of the future is two-litre racing. It's taking off all over the world. It's going to be massive here. And so uh, we're going to do a deal with Toker and we're going to bring out two-litre cars and we're going to have a big two-litre two replace V8 supercars. And most of your drivers will come and drive in that and, you know, you'll be left high and dry with a bunch of old V8 cars and nothing to do, much to do with them. Oh, okay. So, you know, we, we clearly got to a point where they weren't going to pay any extra at all. They, in other words, they called our bluff. Yeah. Which is fair enough. You're entitled to do that in life. Yeah. And then um, so we started to leave the meeting and it's a very famous part of this story because um, it, it still rings in my head today. As we got to the door sort of saying goodbye, uh, James walked out first and as I was about to walk out, Ivan Stibbard called out, uh, V8 supercars are dinosaurs, Tony. And I stopped and I was thinking, I just stood there for a minute. It was a long pause. It wasn't a long pause because I'm smart. It was a long pause because I had to try and think of an answer because I hate <laughs> anybody having, having the last, last word. word. <laughs> and I turned around and I said, yeah, yeah, you're probably right. But what you've forgotten is that the dinosaur lived on earth for 8,000 years in a hostile environment. So I think we're good for a few more. And I turned around and walked out. But what he didn't appreciate and what anybody in that room didn't appreciate that's the last thing you say to somebody like me because that just made me five times more determined than I was already. So I was already determined to make a success of it. Now I, I had my marching orders as far as I was concerned. So then we went full pelt into what we could do and the, the one part of the equation we needed? Track. We needed the track. So we needed the circuit. So who owned the circuit? The Bathurst so, City so Council. The, so the, the first – there wasn't a consideration of – a fallback plan. We're going to run a thousand somewhere else. You had to find a way oh, to run we, it. We bluffed there. that. Mm. We bluffed that. Yeah, of course. We told people we had a plan for a thousand kilometer race somewhere else. And, you know, everybody's digging around frantically, journalists frantically ringing around trying to find out where it was. And meanwhile, you're going to see the mayor. Meanwhile, um, I had looped around behind everybody's back, called up me and McIntosh said, I, I'd like to come to Bathurst. I'd like to have a meeting with you. And he said, Yeah, of course. I sat down and I said, look, Ian, I understand the Local Government Act and I understand as the Mayor of the Local Government Shire of Bathurst 
you have an obligation to represent the ratepayers and their best interest and your best interest is in um, renting out the circuit up there on the side of the hill. And he said, what do you get out? I said, I want to rent it. Oh, holy hell, you know, I, this is going to be difficult. So he got the uh, the then um, chief executive officer of the Bathurst City Council, whose name I've forgotten now, is a little bloke, got him into the meeting and, and I went to town. I, I'd obviously had a well-legal path worked out and I had my position well worked out and I put a hell of a deal to him to be our track rental with some upside mm. if we were successful and no risk to the Bathurst City Council. And I said, you have no choice, Ian, but you've got to agree because if you don't, I'll, I will go to the state government and I will say the Bathurst City Council is not working in the best interest of the ratepayers and I can prove it. And by best interest of ratepayers, it is a fee for hiring the track, but then all of the fans, teams, See, all yeah, the spending that, that goes and on that, in the and, place. That, and, that, and that's the point that Ian went to straight away. He said, look, actually – whether we I make money it. out of our Mount Panorama per se or not is not the real critical it's issue. The other stuff around. For me, you know, I mean, this drives so many dollars into the town mm. with accommodation, still does. still does, of course, et cetera, et cetera, et cetera. So Ian knew exactly what was required of him and the Bathurst City Council. So he said, leave it with us. I've got your written – I had a written proposal there already on the spot. I, <laughs> well, here's what I prepared yeah, earlier. <laughs> yeah, and uh, exactly. And, um, you know, he – put it through the Bathurst City Council. I don't know whether it was an extraordinary council meeting, whether they just did it in their next – I can't remember now. It took a couple of weeks, so maybe it was their next council meeting. Rang me up and said, we've got a deal. And um, he said, how, how the – you know, you pl- please give me 24 hours. I'm going to have to ring my partners in the great race and explain to them that I have no – you know, we've got to do this. And they went nuts, of course. Mm. And uh, – uh, then all sorts of journalists, including one lunatic in Sydney, started to write massive columns about, you know, this will all fail and, you know, they'll find a way to sue them. And oh, oh it was all, then it just became stupid for there three was months. Going on. There was yeah, it it on. became ridiculous. Yeah. Anyway, the bottom line is we ran our race, whatever it was, two weeks later, I think the it first was year. The first year, yep. And um, they had the long weekend. They had, you know, a thousand years of history. They had the big sponsor in AMP. They had, you know, you name it. They, you know, they had the seven network behind them. And um, I think, you know, if you counted hands, legs, and appendages, they claimed that they had twenty thousand there and didn't have anything like that, of course. Um, and then, you know, two weeks later, we we really did have fifty odd thousand there because we sold fifty, I think, fifty three thousand ticket sticks in my head. We sold a lot of tickets, and the fans just, the old story, the fans voted with their feet. We did really well on the TV ratings. We didn't knock them off because a lot of fans around Australia didn't understand that. Didn't know what was going so their, on. So their TV started out at whatever it was. I'll make the numbers up now, but I'll get the quantum right. Their TV viewership started out at, you know, 1.8 million in the morning and after an hour it was down to, you know, 480,000 because people were going, what, what's this? Well, people and who, who are, the these, who are these what people? What are these cars? Where are these? <laughs> yeah. But if you flicked on your telly to Channel 10, you saw what you saw the previous year. Like for like, yeah. pretty much, you know. So we we, we we won that battle in the first year. Everybody started screaming, "My mob!" It was it was perfect for me because it crystallised the support behind me. So you know, anybody in the V eight paddock who was, you know, is this guy a lunatic? Is this a Vesco thing worth doing? All there's of that runs on the board. There, there's, there's, I had, there's I had, I had, I had instant credibility. I had, yeah, that's the truth. You know, I can tell the story a thousand different ways, but you know, the cut to the chase. I had instant credibility where it mattered to me, which was pit lane, and um, you know, away we went. Then the second year, we flogged them even harder. 
and we had a terrible day the second year. I can't remember why, but there was a reason why we really got punched into November. And I think because the Gold Coast Indy moved to October. Is that what it was? Yeah. Because originally you, you, it used you, to be early in the year and that year it got moved to October, okay. which is kind of where you would have run your Bathurst, so it got yep, moved yep. back a bit. Yeah, so, so um, we had a terrible date by comparison, but – Again, we but just I, I absolutely say, flogged them on but, TV but ratings. But shows, man, I mean, the, uh, funnily, we, we're so geared to it being October. Bathurst, October, the first Sunday in October, all that stuff. Well, it hasn't been the first Sunday in October for 20 years because the NRL ended up there and, you know, the Labor Day weekend supercars is one back from now. Hmm. But, you know, we went there at the first weekend of December because of COVID reasons in 21. Didn't matter. Like, it, it, I, yeah, well, I, it felt a little strange. I have this same argument year, with but, the AFL grand final, by the way. Oh, uh, yeah, so yeah, I've heard that a few times. Yeah, over so I've, I'm, and you'll keep hearing it because I'm going to keep harping on about it because it's the most ridiculous decision in the history of mankind. But perhaps that's a slight over exaggeration. Uh, just a little. Just um, but the, the, you know, the truth of the matter is that I'm going to go right back to where I was, what, five minutes ago. Content is king. If the content is right, People aren't so fixated about a date, a time, a location, well, location maybe. Um, that was one of the things I said to stir the pot and I really regret it afterwards. Oh, the, there are no sacred <laughs> there are no sites. There's no sacred sites. Of course, Bathurst <coughs> in Australian motorsport is a sacred site. But anyway, it suited me at the time. <laughs> so I, I, I flung that one out there. That you know, got me some headlines um, for all the wrong reasons. But that's okay. You, you go to war, you're going to. Get flesh wounds, you know. You're going, yeah, you're going to starve for a few days. You're going to run out of water. You, you know, you, we were at war. It was a war. Don't let anybody today tell you otherwise. It was a fair oh, dinkum. Yeah, yeah. You know, we had yeah. a lawyer. We had a lawyer in Sydney, basically working full time for us on, you know, preventing this spear and stopping that spear and stopping this one. And you know, it was it was right on there, particularly for the first twelve months. Yeah, I mean, they started to lose their fight pretty quickly after the second Bathurst because they were flogged and, um, you know, they were trying to wave peace banners and suggest, oh, let's all get back together and, you know, hang on, why would we do that? <laughs> you know, um, I'm sorry, the, the court of victory is is held by those that win and we won so this, you can do whatever you like but this is what we're doing. There was a great irony in it all though that eventually Channel 7 ended up with the rights to Bathurst yeah. again through V8 Supercars yeah. and the championship 10 years later. Um 2007. So it was 10 years exactly since yeah. the blue had happened. So I'm not going to name anybody, but lots of people at Channel 7 who I really respect and still respect today and still get on with today who pulled me aside, you know, within three or four years of the initial Bathurst blue and said, Coco, as soon as we can get the rights back, we want the rights back. We made a massive mistake. We backed the wrong people. We backed the wrong thing here. Uh, let's get back together. You know, they could have just done a deal, got the championship because because the, they didn't want the championship. They wanted Bathurst, but they didn't really want the championship. And that was the problem I had, of and course. I wanted have, some. Yeah, I wanted them all in the one spot. Yeah, correct. So yeah. these guys could not survive on one great weekend a year. So the only way to build the whole thing, we had to build the whole thing. That meant I had to have a TV network that covered that covered the whole gambit, and that's why we went to Ted John McAlpine. Mm. You know, a lot of people think that you know the deal was initially uh, done with. Um, um, sorry, Channel Ten Sporting guy who was a mad keen, or still is today, a mad keen motorsport fan. I'm having a mental blank. But anyway, um, the truth is I did, the deal was done with John McAlpine and um, Mike Oddson. Mm, the late Mike Oddson. Yeah, the late Mike yeah. Oddson. But um, so, yeah, look, it was a, it was a fascinating time and, it, you know, it was a, you know, your book touches on it and, um, you know, your book gets 
probably as close to getting it right without fully getting it right as anything that's been written about it. But, you know, the truth of the matter is that we it, it was a full-blown trench war and it was one we, ha- we had to win. We had no choice. We had to win it and we did win it and we won it conclusively. We sent them packing after, what, three events or something? I think it was three. Co- it cost them yeah. like $20 million over yeah. three years. So that was, that was a good decision, wasn't it? Because it, 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 it took... I think it was two or three years of World Series cricket. It was one season of Super League, and it was two years of Bathurst. So they all, they all lasted. Not you know, you could never run a war that long because both sides couldn't last that long anyway. So it all worked out. It all you know, Bathurst flowed on. It got bigger. It got better. It's it's what it is, and it's you know. It's but the big mistake in their mix, looking back that they couldn't work out at the time was they gave us a reason to unite. That was the stupidity of it. <laughs> mm. they, they should have been doing things to keep you fractured, Correct. not actually to help Correct. unite you. Which right. they, 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 all they did was unite us um, as one dead set mm. solid unit. You know, I mean, everybody in the pit lane was couldn't have been more on side. There was a couple that tried to dabble a bit in the other race, but soon, oh, forget this, and and got at the hell out of it. Um, and you know, I, I remember even Peter Brock saying to me one day. Oh, I made a mistake, didn't I, running in that other Bathurst? That was that was the wrong thing to do, probably, in hindsight. That's how Peter used to speak to you. <laughs> and uh, I said, well, you know, oh, does it he doesn't doesn't matter. Deal. He had a deal with Channel 7. He was in a rock and a hard place. Life so. goes on, of course. Yeah, yeah there was. Course. But you, you had the V8 race had his last Bathurst. They had his last. <laughs> it was like he was like the Dame Nelly Melba. He was getting so many last Bathurst, and yeah. he had a few more later on down the track anyway. But that's a whole um, that's a whole another story. So that's the Bathurst War uh, was over in a couple of years, and and, and run and won. Um, one of the other things I'm really interested to ask you about, mate, is the Gold Coast. Of course, the Indy race for many many years. You're you're a proud Gold Coast. You've been here since was it 87. I think 87, yeah. Um, it had its headaches with the you know, IndyCar no longer continued, <laughs> the A1 thing that was never going to happen. Uh, we had a 600 for a while with the international drivers coming out as co-drivers to help sort of keep some sizzle and some flavour to it. Uh, what do we do with that event? I feel like it needs something. Does it need someone one of, to one stump of the, up something and just make something that's – Look, wow, I, I, I actually tried to. Give, you wrote a column a few years ago. I about did, this. That's well, what and and, ask you. and of course, various people in the V8 fraternity took my column as you know a personal affront. That how could I have an opinion? I should have, you know, I took the money and I'd gone, and I should just sit there and shut up. Um, but the truth of the matter is, I wrote that column trying to give them a pointer to guys. I'm, you know, giving you a bit of free advice here, and then the free advice really still counts today. Um, it needs a new change. It needs a big change. It needs a new point of difference. I mean, it's become same, same, like a lot of things on the coast. It's I, I, is a point of view I have about a lot of the events and the way business is done uh, in that space on the Gold Coast. Um, you keep doing same, 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 and guess what? After a period of time it wears out and the interest wanes and uh, unfortunately the costs keep going up. So... I, I was just trying to say, you know, you've got to rethink it. I, I mean, I rethought that particular event. I had the pleasure of, of the pain of rethinking it three times. I saved it three times in the space of a 10-year period. And because um, the government were, you know, all set to sign the pen and get rid of it. Um, and, 
you know, it started our life as an IndyCar race, you know, it, it then morphed into a, a – uh, from an IndyCar race, it morphed into a V8 supercar race purely because the A1 Grand Prix was, in some people's eyes, the, the brand new flashy toy around the world. And meanwhile, everybody who was in the known motorsport knew that it was about to go straight over a cliff, which it did. Um, and then, of course, you know, it, it's, it's as you said, in the V8 time, it's had two or three different format sort of things, uh, changes. Um, but it... it it, it needs a massive revitalization, um, a whole new thought process around it, and uh, it needs a massive freshen up because it, it just won't survive if it stays as it is. It, 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 it is it international? Does it need an international component? Look, does it I, need I, a format change? I haven't. Does it need I have everything. Does it need a big concert with it? Does it? I don't know. What does Aaron, it need? I have. I haven't really focused on it since I wrote that article, and that article's got to be at least four years old. I think it was five. twenty. Yeah, I think it's five years old. Yeah. yeah. So I haven't really, I haven't really given it any thought of more recent times because I've had, you know, my plate well and truly full with all sorts of stuff and and a lot of work overseas and what have you. But the it, it just it just does now. Now people can sit and take no notice and say the guy's a raving idiot, and I'm fine with that too. <laughs> but the, the bottom line is, unfortunately, I'll be proven right um, because I, I'd really like to see it the event stay, but the event needs. Brand new polish, mm. and and that and that's true. Can I say that's true in a lot of spaces? And it's not a unique thing. It's to, not to a u- it's not a unique thing. And you know, you're going back to Bathurst, I mean, one of the things that we you know that we absolutely played a pivotal role in, and I certainly did, was you know raising all the federal money, state government money, and federal money to uh, rebuild Bathurst. You know, so you've got to do big things. You've got to do. You got to have a bit of vision, and you got to you got to try new things, and you got to be prepared to um, shake the tree. Sometimes That's, apples don't fall out. Sometimes branches fall on your head, and you're embarrassed. <laughs> but you know, you you've got to be prepared to have a crack. And um, uh, you know that 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 happens right across the board in event world. That's not just limited to VR no, supercars. No, not that's, at all. Not that's at all. Uh, that's a universal problem. Mm. You know because. It's not like people say, oh, you know, but you, Monaco's been going forever. Yeah, but Monaco is so super special. I mean, it's just so – I'm sure you've been. If you haven't, make sure you go. You know, it's just amazing just to experience at least once in your life. So the Indy 500 is yeah, truly it's incredible. It's amazing. It's truly incredible. But they're special. They're very special. They're on the very top shelf. They're up there with the finest whiskies and yeah, the you good know, stuff. The, the, the real, real good stuff. the really good, the you know, good bourbon. China's up there. That's the good where rye the good stuff bourbon. Is, yeah. You know, so so you so you can't compare it to stuff like that. Um, but you know, you've you've got you've got to find ways to re-energize shit. Mm. Mm. Simple as that. Mm. Good foundations to build from, but. A bit of a bit of mods are, are probably needed there. Um, fast forwarding a bit, we've, we've talked Bathurst in the early V8 era, and yeah. there's, there's a million topics. And you said about you know, if I think about that whole you know, fifteen odd years that you were there, there there were you know, the business tried things, and there were big ticket things. You know, Adelaide 500 was a massive tick that mm-hmm. just was a, a raging success. The overseas forays were successes in some ways. I mean. People paid lots no, of money. No, they're huge for, successes. Well, they were, they were people paid money for our thing to go to various places. Yeah, and we tri- we we oh, quadrupled our global TV audience in the space of a year. But fans bristle. 
at that. Yeah, and they but, still are bristling about the concept of a Singapore Grand Prix race. Or, well, they're mad. Or anything like that. Mad. Well, what's mad? your problem? Firstly, if you're a fan, right, and I'm really in the fan corner, let me tell you, I'm, not in, I'm pretty rusted on there. I'm, you you're know, a couch going now, yeah. I'm yeah. a part of that fan group, all those have been. So I, I don't understand the problem from a fan point of view because V8 supercars race across Australia. What, you're trying to tell me every fan goes to every race? Of course they don't. Your fans go to a race that's near them and they might pick one other special race for the year and go to that. So most of their watching is done via TV. Now provided, and here's my big proviso, mm-hmm. provided you're giving them good and easy access to watch the racing, then does it really matter if they're in Abu Dhabi or they're in Auckland or they're in Tapo or they're in Timbuktu? And of course it doesn't. As long as it's at a time that's in your, you know, hitting zone to sit down and watch yeah. it. Yeah, within reason. Mm. Within reason. I mean, Australians, all, because we all do it. If we've got a sport that we love that starts at 11 o'clock at night from London, guess what we do? I've watched many a Wimbledon final and an Ashes Test Correct. match and a Grand Prix. Correct. Or in the same way, in the same way, by the way, half of the world just had to put up with the Women's World Cup. Uh, being in rugby, this part of the world. Uh, yeah. rugby, sorry, but being football. So they were, you know, they were in, the, they were the ones in the shitty time zone and mm. we were the ones in the great time zone. Well, mm. that's just that's just part of life. When the Olympics is here in Brisbane, you know, it's, it's sheer murder for North and South America. It's a terrible time difference. Deal with it. So is it correct? We all deal with it. So I, I don't believe that when V8s raced in, whether it was China, whether it was New Zealand, whether it was... Uh, Abu Dhabi or Bahrain or Dubai or wherever, uh, Texas. Um, I, I don't believe it disenfranchised any fan. In fact, I've met lots of fans who did make the effort and travelled to one of those events and had an absolute ball and loved it. And from our point of view back then, it was mission critical in trying to grow our sport globally because by, you know, and this is where I disagree so strongly with, you know, Roland Dane, who I think's, you know, smelling grass or something, because, you know, it really helps grow your sponsorship base because you suddenly got something that, you know, in, in the case of, you know, the Triple Eight car, for example, it's got Red Bull all over it. Well, Red Bull's not sold exclusively in Australia. You can buy Red Bull everywhere in the world. So that exposure through a big TV audience globally can't do the teams any harm. Uh, financially, it was fantastic for our sport. Uh, they every team made a lot of money out of it, I know, because I signed the checks. And, you know, the sport did really well out of it financially. So there was – I don't accept this crap that, you know, V8 supercar or supercars or whatever it's called now can not race at the Singapore Grand Prix or race at the Italian Grand Prix or race at, you know, South Africa or race at Antarctica. I mean, if it makes commercial sense – and you've got a good television package to carry it back here live in Australia, go for it. So racing at 10am in the morning at Singapore at the Grand Prix when no one's watching in 10 lap races, as long as people here can watch it, that's the bit that matters. Well, you say no one's watching. I mean in terms of at the track because it's a nighttime event, so everyone's coming at the nighttime at Singapore, but clearly when a supercar, and this is if it's running there. Yeah, I, I, I don't have We're not pencilling them in to be there. But yeah, I, I don't have, as, I don't have a clue example, whether it's running there or not running there. As an example, Formula 1 are going to be at nighttime. Their support categories are going to be in the lead up to them. So another support category, if it was supercars, is going to be at, at I guess, 10, 11, 12 during the daytime when – there's barely anyone trackside. But if, if you t- come – and these things are all about which way you come from them on. 
you could sit there and go, well, that's shit house. There's no one in the grandstands at that stage. No one's watching. No one in Grand Prix land gives a toss about it. But if you look at it the other way, well, yeah, but it's another race event. So fans are bemoaning there's not enough rounds. Well, there's are. only 12 that's at the true. moment. <laughs> so no, if it, if the fans are correct again. It, I think they're right. We want to go racing more often. We love racing. So if there's a way to go racing somewhere and there's a deal on the table that someone will pay for all the stuff to go there and everyone's going to – it's not going to cost them any more than it is to go to Winton or, you know, wherever else it might be. If the deal's good and the television time is good and it's another race on the calendar, why not? Well, you see, see – the, I'm just looking at the two angles, the two yeah, angles. Yeah, you are. But, you know, I, I, I'll sit here and argue to midnight. Well, I can't because I've got to go out tonight. But I'll, I'd sit here and argue to midnight to just – defend very strongly that the more you internationalise and more profile you give to your sport, the better off it is for it. So I think, you know, I think when we were, you know, when we were the golden era, somebody could, a fan tried to tell me the other day it was, maybe it was, but um, that, that era of V8 supercars when we were going all over the world and we had our, our global TV audience was terrific. We were making seriously good money from global TV deals right? All of that helps to build the power and the impact of you as a sport. And you have more kudos, you have more weight. Governments are more interested in, you know, talking to you about what you might do to rebuild Winton in, you know, or our bring back. an event here or rebuild yeah, that. Correct. Or whatever so, so it's the sum of all the parts. You just can't isolate it. You just can't cut that little bit out and say, oh, it never stacked up. That's simply untrue. I sat there at the number one desk for a number of years and saw it stack up on all sorts of reasons. I mean, just the respect we got from the FIA globally because we were able to do it, you know, and and be granted international series status and all of that. Just the respect we had in the Formula One paddock. I'm not saying they were mad keen V8 supercar races, but we did have it in those days. We had commanded a reasonable amount of respect. I know it because, you know, on that bookshelf over there, I got a book signed by the one and great Bernie Eccleston. I even, Bernie, I was going to say, uh, what, what's the book? Is it Bernie's book or yeah, another book? Bernie's book. Yeah. So, so you know, I mean, it it it, it elevated us. It gave us it gave us a uh, an edge. It gave. Look, I can tell you, it gave most of pit lane. I won't say one hundred percent, but most of pit lane had a bigger spring in their step because they loved how we were taken care of. They loved the quality of the circuits we went to. They loved the fact that they were becoming international. You know, they loved what it did for some of their sponsors. I'm not saying everybody's sponsors, but some of their sponsors. So, you know, I, I just don't – I'm sorry, I'm not going to buy into this crap that, you know, V8s has to exist purely in Australian soil and can't go anywhere else and everything else was a disaster. It wasn't a disaster. Uh, and now Talking out your ass if uh, you say that. <laughs> written, spoken and authorised. Now, though, than ever with the – I mean, we don't have Holdens anymore. That's gone. Let it go. It's happened. Now that we're racing Mustangs and Camaros, it's actually a more – It makes applicable, more sense. Uh, more applicable. <laughs> if anything, it, you could argue in my time it didn't make so much sense because we're racing around in cars you couldn't buy outside yeah, of Australia. Yeah, yeah, exactly. So now exactly. you could even argue more passionately than that I there's am. more connection to the car. Correct. Overseas. And, and there is probably another element and a lot of our V8 Sleuth followers, website readers, podcast listeners – They've all thought, and I've actually had this floated to me a few times, and it's a great concept. It's one thing to take our thing there, wherever the there is, mm -hmm. but there's also another line of business here, and I don't know if this has been um, – it might be something going on behind the scenes and I don't know about it and I'm, you know, it's just convenience that I'm saying it or coincidence, I should say. That there's, a, there's, a, there's IP, there's property there in a supercar 
car is IP, mm. whether it's the, the chassis, the body panels, the engine. If it's me running the show, I'd be looking to not just go and race our, take our circus to Yas Marina or Singapore or I don't know, wherever it might be, but to actually find different parts of Asia or other regions to say, well, let's have the supercar series of the Middle East, Asia, whatever. Yeah, well, and you buy our IP and you buy our cars and here's a whole other market to okay, go so, and, you know, so a business case. Firstly, it wasn't quite as easy in my time because, as you rightly pointed out, the two cars were Australian-based cars. It would be much easier now mm. to visit something like that. Having said that, we had an investment group out of Hong Kong, a Chinese investment group, who um, had a very, very serious look at a big investment about us doing a race up in Hong Kong. In fact, I'm pretty confident Shane Howard and myself and maybe one other went up and actually looked at a possible couple of street circuits um, because Hong Kong clearly doesn't have a permanent motorsport circuit. Uh, Zuhai is, but it's a long way from Hong Kong. And this group were looking to for to then buy 18 cars off of us and start and we would help them and help them with IP and help them with uh, development, uh, start a racing series for young Chinese drivers in China and because they had, by the stage, they had some good quality circuits in China. And we, we actually did a whole sort of SWAT exercise on it and costed it and, you know, we were going to have, you know, four or five of our teams were going to make a couple of cars each and sell them to these guys and, and you know, we were going to loan engineers for six-month periods and stuff like this. So we, we it was a bit of a SWAT exercise. Um, they paid for the exercise, 100,000 US or something at the time for um, V8 Supercars to do the exercise. Um, it never went anywhere. It died on the vine. Um, I can't remember why it died on the vine, to be truthful now, but it it did. It died on the vine. Never never got off the ground. But so it's it's not a it's not a it's not the weirdest no. suggestion. And if ever in the history of mankind, more there are, the hurdles come down. Quite a few of those hurdles come down that were there then to now. Yeah, correct. So, because the cars now are yeah. truly global cars. Mm. Mm. So as much as globalisation... Plus they look great, I might add. Yeah, totally. As much as globalisation's been a bit of a, a pain for some things, it, it might work in, in others. Well, I hope you enjoyed this episode of the podcast with TC, but I've got good news and I've got bad news. Let's start with the bad news. Let's get it out of the way. You've got to wait a week for part two to be released. But good news, it's full of plenty more TC. I hope you can join me then for more with the Supercars Hall of Famer when we next get together here on the V8 Salute podcast, polished by Bowden's own premium car care. I'm Aaron Noonan. Thanks for tuning in. Send us your feedback via the form on our website and I'll chat with you soon.